Hello from San Francisco. Ponyo and I have just begun a three-week-long tour. We are in San Francisco for the Queers in Comics conference. My host is sleeping, so I'm being very quiet. After that, we are going to Portland. We'll be doing Russian Roulette next Friday, the 21st, at the Curious Comedy Theater. Um, and we will also be doing a show-and-tell talk at Portland State University. If you find yourself in Bellingham, Washington, we will also be appearing at the Western Washington University Queer Comic Con. Find us. Today on Sagittarian Matters, a bunch of advice with friend of the show, Michelle T. Stay tuned. Michelle T. is the author of many, many books. You can find her next book, Modern Tarot, at stores starting in June. Before then, Michelle's going to be reading your tarot cards on Facebook Live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Michelle joined me in the podcast studio of my bedroom to answer some of your most pressing advice questions. I hope you enjoy. How do you make choices about when or if to attend faraway weddings, birthdays, celebrations, etc. that include significant travel? It's a good question. Um, as somebody who I, I know I'm not going to be able to make it to a wedding that I was invited to, who I, I, I really enjoy the people getting married. But, um, you know, for me, I can't do more than one significant trip a month. So that's something that cuts it down. Like if it's if I'm already going somewhere... Um, I can't. I can't go someplace again. I mean, I used to be able to do that more, and I travel a lot for work, which is different. But, um, but that's part of it. Um, so maybe, hmm. Seems like you've probably. It sounds like you get a lot of cool invitations. Whoever you are, you sound pretty popular. Um, I have to say, once I skipped a destination wedding that some friends had, and I've regretted it. God, really? You know, for my whole life, I've actually regretted every every wedding I haven't gone to. Because then you see, like, pictures, and you're like, that was a special moment in that in their life, and I could have been there, and, and then... So, okay, prioritize weddings, then. I think that's what we're getting coming wedding, to you. Because yeah. I feel like it did something weird to our friendship. Like, it was, oh. you know, like... Because it's an important day for them, and then you see, like, they're bonded in some way with everybody yeah. that was there that day. It's true. It's true. People who weren't able to come to my wedding, I felt really sad about it. Um... Hmm. And now what else is there? Birthdays? Eh, they happen every year, you know? Yeah. I don't know. That person has to be a pretty inner circle Yeah. person. To- I mean, having a significant birthday. Like when I had my big 40, my big 4-0, you came. That yeah. was really cool. Yeah. Um, so like maybe like they're rent they're turning 50 and they're renting a cottage or they're turning 21 and they get they're going to have get alcohol poisoning like so you want to be <laughs> yeah. there for like big birthdays maybe. Yeah. What else is there? Celebrations, that's so vague. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. No, yeah, skip the so celebration. I make the choices. I have in the past made choices based on how good of friends we are. And Yeah. But, like, the, there's been two weddings I haven't been able to go to. Both of them I regret not actually being there that day. One of them I didn't go. It was, like, in a weird place, and I was going to have to go stag, and I was going to be the only gay person, and it was around a roller coaster. I like roller coasters. And so I dragged my feet for too long, and uh-huh. then the tickets were cost prohibitive. Oh, no. When I looked again, the tickets were $1,000. Oh, 
oh, which God. I just like literally didn't have. Yeah. So I couldn't go, and then my friends were bummed, and then I was bummed because yeah. I love them. They're like family members. So. Oh. I know. All right. All right. Well, go to go to weddings. Um, I guess important birthdays. Yeah, if it's important and a really close friend, celebrations. I don't know. I'm not a millionaire. I know, right? You gotta make some. I I mean, I'm assuming like. I wish I had more information about this person, like what their income is, and do you have to take work off? Do you have like a kid you're leaving or a significant other that you have to be away from or? Because um, when I was more, like, single, I would go, like, everywhere I possibly could. I would, like, say yes to, like, every invitation if I could do it. But but um, now I don't do that quite so much. All right. Next question. What next question. How are you balancing your news intake with mental health? Hmm. I, uh, I mean, this is a hard question. I got so upset today about the San Bernardino shooting. Do you know about that? Yeah. I was just like, oh, God men just like all all we do is just read about the horrible things that men are doing to the world you know like it's too it's so awful and with like the crazy administration trying to like nitpick like who our enemy is when we all really know that the enemy is men but nobody says it i'm saying it go ahead oh, you know i watched it today i literally had the, i was like lesbian's not gonna do that you hear about somebody going into the school and shooting their partner in front of a bunch of kids? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Lesbians never done that's, that. No, that's definitely not going to do it. That's, no, that's it's just so horrible. Um, I felt I felt emotionally affected by that story. Um, so then I put my phone down and I went and I cleaned the kitchen. So that's oh, what I did. That's nice. Instead of like reading another article about it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes grim news can have that sort of like weird car crash effect where like I don't it's like sometimes I feel like if I get bad news I want to read like five articles about the same piece of bad news like somehow it will help me comprehend it more or it will help me like I don't know assimilate the information more but it doesn't it just leaves you jangly and weird and you should just like read one news article and then walk away yeah I yourself I think on my best days I don't look at the news right when I wake up that's yeah. not every day, though. Most yeah. days I wake up, have to touch the phone to turn off the alarm, uh-huh. and then just go ahead, right, get right into it. Before coffee? Just before coffee, oh, before man. anything. And then I, you know, so I think on, on my best days, if it's bugging you, if the news is bugging you, I would say get a separate kind of alarm clock. Yeah, so you don't a, have to a even, good old-fashioned alarm clock. So you have to touch the fucking phone, yeah. and then you can actually have coffee, decide how you want your day to be, how you want your energy to be. Read a book. Before Take you let... coffee and read a book. It feels so nice. Yeah. It weirdly now has feels like you're like in a cabin when you're doing that. <laughs> it's like the coziest thing to do ever. It's a co- Come here, Ponyo. Oh, it's Ponyo. Um, so how are you bouncing your news intake with mental health? I just... You, I, you just can't. I'm just like... I look yeah. at the main news of the day... And then I have to put the phone away and do my work. Yeah. Check in with your body. Like, yeah. you're not obligated to stay on top of every terrible thing that's happening. Yeah. Like, you're, you're, it's like you just, you're not a, I mean, I guess I don't know who you are, but chances are you're not a politician. You're not, you know, a, a journalist. You're not, like, you don't need, there's no real reason for you to have to stay on top of every horrible thing that's happening. Nicole here has this podcast. She needs to stay topical. So she actually needs to read every single piece of bad news that, yeah. that comes across. But hopefully you don't. So check in with your body. And if, you, if you're feeling stressed, just put the phone away. You're, you're okay. It doesn't mean that, like, you're not bearing witness to, like, the horror of our world right now. Like, you are. You're bearing witness to it and you're also taking care of yourself. I just say I, I basically look towards the morning. I see the headlines. And then at night, I, everyone knows, I listen to the Rachel Maddow Show podcast. Uh-huh. 
And so then I get to hear about the Russia thing. I get to hear about the president thing. I get to hear those things. And anyway, all right. Yeah, that's a good. That's good advice to just pick one news source that you just know like feels okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. We had a journalist on a couple weeks ago that was talking about balancing your news intake by looking at world news, uh-huh. you know, and looking at different things. Oh, that's cool, too. But, um, but that's still bad news. That's a lot. That's a lot of bad news, actually. That's a lot of bad news. Okay. How do I fit into my life all the reading I really want to do? My main fear of death is that I won't get to read everything I want to or mean to before I die. Michelle T., you read a lot. You've always read a lot considering how much is going on in your life. That I can accept that with that sort of tag on the end of it because I feel like I don't read as much as I should because I'm on my phone too much. I have to pick up and put down um, works a lot for work. You know, I'll be reading a book. Um, I read a lot of stuff. I, I blurb a lot of people's books, so I speed reading them or, you know, I'm, I, I'm not halfway through it, but they, it's time for the blurb and I got to like skim it and just kind of get a vibe on it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I'm, I'm kind of cliff noting a lot is what it feels like. So what I started doing this year is putting a book in the bathroom. So mm-hmm. put a book in the bathroom. My book was in your bathroom. You, and I read it. I finished it. Your book is one of the books that I finished and you gave me Spaniel Rage by Vanessa Davis. Yeah. And uh, again, another book that I finished this year cause it was in my bathroom. Mm-hmm. I finished, uh, this book called sing the song by, I think her name is Meredith Allering. I hope I didn't ruin your name. It's a great book. Sing the song. I just finished that. Now I'm reading the screenplay for Loving, the movie Loving, mm. um, in the bathroom right now. So yeah, if I put it in the bathroom, I finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you go to the bathroom a few times a day, and you can just sit there and read. I am trying to do that with my New Yorkers. Oh God, you're living under the tyranny of a New Yorker subscription. It's a, it's a kind of anxiety uh, that I welcomed back into my life. Uh, it's like a special form of anxiety. It really is. You're a stronger person than I am. I can't do it. And Dasha was like, have you seen that they're giving away like New Yorker subscriptions for like $12? And I was like, no, we cannot allow them into our house. Like I still have two stacks of unread books on my dresser that I'm working through. You know what I do? Caller or whoever you are, emailer. I um, collect books. I hoard books. I always want to support um, bookstores and so if I'm ever in a book for an event my own or someone else's I always buy a book and I put it on my dresser and if I if, if the month turns over if April turns to May and I haven't begun that book yet it goes off my dresser it goes into the stacks am I ever going to read it maybe not there's amazing books in my stacks that yeah. I haven't read but I can't it can't grow indefinitely this pile can't grow upwards so if I haven't started the book then it goes and then at the end of the year when the year turns over I take honest stock of what's up there. Like, am I really enjoying this book? Whoa. Yeah. And I had to make some hard choices this January. I, I totally put some unread, unfinished books back on the stacks. I have to say, I am very choosy about what I read, read. Uh-huh. So with prose books, if I can get away with listening to it, I will get it on Audible. Oh, yeah. You do a lot of books on tape. I do a lot of books on tape because I want to get those words in my head, but I don't necessarily need to have all of them printed. Mm-hmm. If it's poetry or like... If it's something very beautiful, like that Between the World and Me book, mm-hmm. it had beautiful pages, yeah. like edges, and it was laid yeah. out in a particular deckled, way. Deckled edges. Yeah. Like a deckled edge. Yeah. And so those I will buy on purpose or have them run on purpose. But otherwise, if I can get away with listening to it, I will listen to it. Yeah. And then comics and poetry, I will physically, I'll get physical copies of those yeah. things. 
Do you hear this, publishers? People will buy the book if the edges are decaled. Yeah. Go the extra mile and make these books beautiful, and like, then people will buy them. Did you ever have the series of unfortunate events? Have yeah. You ever, like, the, I own that whole series because yeah. they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Whereas, no offense, J.K. Rowling, but the Harry <laughs> Potter books are not so beautiful. Yeah. So I did not feel compelled to keep those after finishing them. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I definitely bought them the night of. And In like line, a, wearing a cape with like a little <laughs> lightning bolt scar on your face <laughs> with a bunch of 12-year-olds. I'm going to tell you a story, Michelle. <laughs> when the first... So I worked at a children's bookstore called A Children's Place when the first Harry Potter books were coming out. Uh-huh. This was a little like pre-first movie, so pre-mania. Uh-huh. It was mania within children's bookstores, places, yeah. but not at large. So when the first movie came out, I got really excited. At the dollar store, they had something called... Or Fred Meyer at the grocery store, Wizard Scar... And it was a piece of, it was like a flap of fake white person's skin with a scar with too many ridges, a scar with like five ridges on it. it. And it looked just like a weird skin tag and it came with double-sided tape. And so I was going to go see the movie as a matinee with my friend at like noon or 1130 Mm -hmm. in the morning. I went to a coffee shop with this thing like double-sided taped to my face. Oh my God. In between my eyes to get coffee. And the people wouldn't even serve me. And I had to be like, excuse me, excuse me. And they were like, what? They're like, is that like a bindi? Like, what is that? And I was like, it's obviously a wizard scar. That was all. It just looked disgusting. It looked like a piece of someone else's like burned like leather oh, leather face skin. They thought that you were just like like a, some sort of like modern primitive like experiment gone wrong. They couldn't look you in the face. <laughs> it's obviously a wizard scar. It's 2002, so get with it. Get with the program. I do want to say one more thing. There is a Japanese word for um, the act of buying books that you're not going to read. What's it called? It's a thing. And I can't remember. I tweeted it once. I can't remember what the word is. But it made me so happy to know that this is like like a thing. It's an affliction. It's a thing that people do. People love books and they buy them even though... And then they're not, they're not going to get to them, but they're still going to keep buying them. And yep. it's how we live our life and the Japanese have a word for it. It's like getting a smart person's energy. Aww. The... Um, the biggest regret of my upcoming trip to Portland is that I'm driving. So I keep looking at books or my New Yorkers and getting excited and be like, oh, I can't wait to read that on the plane. Oh, no. And I'm like, there's no plane. I'm steering the, the plane. plane. Books on tape. Books on tape. Okay. If I, okay, there we, have, we have two questions with a similar theme, so I'm going to mm-hmm. read them back to back. Okay. The first one is, if I'm 37, what is my age-appropriate range for dating? And if a younger person really has their shit together, do they get extra age credit? And conversely, if an older person is immature or living like a younger person, does that put them in a younger dating range? <laughs> the second question is, as someone who is pushing 40, should I romantically pursue someone 15 years older than me? All right. Oh, okay. So, so I, I am 36. Mm-hmm. My age range, the youngest I will personally go would be like 31. Mm-hmm. And the oldest... You get older, you get me more excited. Right. The older you get, you tell me you want to date someone who's 55, that sounds great to I me. think that sounds excellent that for sounds year great. old. I say go for it, for sure. I mean, that's like the best, like dating a 55-year-old. That sounds like experience. Yeah. That sounds like wisdom. Yeah. That sounds like chillness. It sounds like somebody who's like, just like had life experience and just knows, like, isn't just kind of like out there being like, what's out there? Life is a wonderland. You know what I mean? <laughs> they know life is not a wonderland and they're just going to like... Be, like, direct with you. I mean, I, I'm totally romanticizing the 55-year-old. But I do think that, like... They know who they are. A well-adjusted 55-year-old has been around the block. Like, that's what you want. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I like someone with a strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. And 55 sounds like nothing but... Yeah, I agree. Unless something has terribly, gone terribly awry. Like, if they're a 55-year-old alcoholic, like, run for the hills. Like, that's really bad. That's yeah. really bad. You're going to just be, like... 
I don't know, doing hospice with this person in like three years. So don't <laughs> don't do that if they're alcoholics. Just run. Uh, really quick before we get into this, will you can you describe to my listeners what gay age is? What someone's gauge is? It's like similar to your alcoholic age. Oh, um, I think what you're talking about is like people. Are you talking about people who are like? 32, but they're living on the island of misfit toys, and so they're still like 25, and they're going to be 25 probably till they're like 46. No, okay, because that's a thing. It's not like queaking, okay, which we should also right. define. Queaking is when you are attached to the the um, clothing of yeah. when you peaked. Yeah, your style. When, when you were like, I, I've arrived. Here I am, <laughs> queer world. So like maybe if you peaked in 1998. Yeah. And you're just still there. I think everyone, if they stop, can think of someone they know who's queaked. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you've queaked, you know. Yeah. And maybe you've had moments of queaking, you know. There's I, the, yeah. I wonder sometimes when I look back on some things, I was like, should I have still been wearing those, like, horizontal stripes? I don't know. Oh, I'd say yeah, I love that. Um, wait, no, not horizontal the, stripes. Diagonal stripes. I don't know. There was oh, yeah. a moment in, like, 2003 where there was, like, a lot of stretchy cotton-striped clothing. Oh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, Anyway. Well, so your gauge would be, like, like say, like, you came out. It's like basically like you're 18 the minute you came out. Oh, I get what you're you know saying. What I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, because oh, it's because you're liking it. People say that when you start drinking, you stop growing, and so you freeze at the year that you stop that you start drinking alcoholically, mm-hmm. and then you get those years once you become sober. So if you don't become sober till you're like 30, and you start drinking when you're what like 15? Yeah. Then like you're 30 years old and you're 15. You're like a 15 year. You're old. 15 year old, and then when you're 31, you're like a, you have like the emotional coping coping ability of a 16 year old. So yeah. I, th- I feel like the same thing could be applied to gay people. Oh my god, I or, love this. I love this concept. Like whenever you fully become yourself. So if you're a trans person, like the minute that you were like, okay, this is how I'm coming out. Right. You're like then you're 18. Yeah. No matter how old you are. Yeah. It's true, and queer people have these like second or prolonged or like displaced adolescences because so much of our adolescence was screwed up because we didn't get to date and we didn't get to do these kind of things that like teenagers do yeah. because we we weren't free you know and we didn't have people to date and we were oppressed this is probably changing now but like just being someone in my 40s and you're in your 30s yeah so it's like then you have these like delayed adolescences in your 20s so yeah. you're off by like a decade compared to like the rest of the the world. Yeah. Sometimes. So sometimes. So I guess think about the emotional age of somebody. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to that for sure. I think there is a lot to that, but like I don't know. Like I, when I was I'm 46. When I was 37, I was like dating like a 25 year old, and it didn't go well. And, and I thought that it would, or she was like 24 actually. I thought it would go okay because this person was so mature and smart and like b- being like somebody who was an alcoholic, like the fact that they had like a good job and a savings account, you know, and were like smart and had like life goals. I was just like, this is awesome. But the reality is that they were still 24. And so there was just a lot of like emotional maturity that wasn't there and through no fault of their own. It's just, the way it was and so after that I was like I don't think I can go I don't think I can date anyone seriously who hasn't passed their Saturn return yeah because like I'll end up being their Saturn return well, do you know what I mean I'll be like the thing that that, that needs to go because they were, have been with me since they were so young that like can you describe like what do you think happens for somebody between the ages of like 25 and 29 I think that you your frontal lobe finishes you, forming yeah so you really understand 
like your mortality in some way. You understand risk and consequences in a way that like you might not when you're in your mid twenties, but by the end of your twenties, you should, if all's going okay. And then that corresponds with your Saturn return, which is where you hit your limitations and you have to kind of like take stock of your life and and make some hard calls about like, this actually isn't working. Like this dream I had is actually like, I'm it's, it's not going to come true. Like what is going to come true? Like what are my realistic goals? Like what habits are actually like sabotaging me? All those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What came, I th- I'm trying to think of what came out of my Saturn return. I think I learned that I didn't have to choose the most damaged person or dog in the room <laughs> that I could choose someone that I like, already had it together and didn't need me. Yeah. And that was, that was okay. But before then I had, I saw it as like a badge of honor where I was like, Keep telling me how fucking crazy you are. That sounds fine to me. What yeah. do I care? Yeah, totally. I'm strong. Yeah. I'm burly. That's what I'm bringing to this relationship is like my ability to withstand bad situations. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And also when you're queer and you're like dating people, like people are, people are damaged. Like queer people are damaged. Queer people have PTSD. And so it's like a lot of your dating pool is really damaged. And then if like you're the, like, I'm the hardy person that can help the damaged person. It's like there's a moment where that works where you're like, okay, I'm like committed to the struggle. And part of being committed to the struggle is like caring for this damaged person. Yeah. But then after a point, it's actually not sustainable. No. You're like, it's like, where are you in that? Yeah. Where are you? And like, people need to take care of themselves and you're not necessarily helping people by that coddling them like that anyway. Yeah. Coddling them. Coddle. Well, when I was 28, I think I was like, Oh, I'm not a psychiatric nurse. I'm not qualified for this job that I've taken on. Yeah. (laughs) It's a really big, I, I feel like even th- through doing, like, community events and stuff like that, I feel like there was, I, I remember, like, there, w- there was some event that I was doing and there was just, like, people who were just, like, having severe mental illness that were disrupting the event. And, like, somebody was just, like, we're not actually a social service organization. Like, this isn't actually what we are equipped to do. It's not what we're, like, we don't have to do this. And I was like, we, we don't. We don't have to accommodate. Ev- like, I don't know. Like, there is something about that of just feeling like, oh, okay, just come in and sabotage my work and I'll just allow that to happen because life is unfair or something. Yeah. yeah. But so, okay, so back to the question. Back to the question. What do you think someone's age, so if, if, if you're 37 years old and there's a younger person who really has their shit together, do they get an extra age credit? I think that's probably true. I think that um, when I started dating the person I'm with now, who's like my husband wife, they were, what about them was, they were like a little too young for me, but they seemed really together. our Our age difference is nine years. And at that point... I didn't want an age difference that big like that. I had had other age differences that big and they, I found them to be ultimately problematic, but I just went with it because she seemed so together and she was, and it, it's, it worked. So yeah, I mean, it's like, I just think that like, for me, I, I went for a while of just being like, age doesn't matter. It's not a thing at all, you know? And so I got myself into these stupid situations because of course it's a thing. Of course it is significant. Um, but then, so I, I, then I swung the other in the other direction. But I just think you just have to keep your wits about you and be honest and realistic about like age. There are stages of ages, you know, like this. It's a real thing. It doesn't make you eight an ageist person to recognize that like somebody who's twenty four might not just be in the same place as you when you're thirty seven. You know. I also I also find young people are more romantic. Yeah. They're more romantic and idealistic. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard if you're less idealistic. 
to get um, into that zone. Yeah, totally. It's really true. I, mean? I not, do. I do. Not to be grisly. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would say don't get too wrapped up in the in the, the fantasy that a 23 to 24-year-old may spin about your romantic life. Um, it, yeah, totally. And it's just like... It sounds like condescending. Like, you can't actually be a 40 or 37-year-old person and say to a 23-year-old, like, you, like the person you are right now, like, you're actually not going to be this person in 10 years because it's so condescending and, yeah. and unvalidating. And it doesn't really matter who they'll be in 10 years because who they are when they're 23 is so crucial and important and informs who they'll be. But the reality is, like, none of us are who we are in their tw- our 20s. That person's going to change so drastically. And, like, you just don't know how. And do you want to be there for every like growing pain and mm. and just like as they discover like a, a nuance of feminism that you've known for a decade like can you live with that hearing somebody get excited about it when you're just like yes I know I did that 10 years ago like I don't know yeah I just shaved my head what do you think <laughs> <laughs> maybe should I get an eyebrow ring what do you think <laughs> oh my god I just I also use the campfire rule which is the Dan Savage campfire rule of leave if you're gonna date someone younger than you leave them better than you found them Oh, that's nice. I don't know that I can say that. I've done that. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice if you're going into something and you know that maybe you have something up on them career-wise or oh, some other, maybe you, yeah. you're more experienced than them in that's some way. That's true. Okay, well, if you think of that, I guess I have. I have done it. I guess oh. I've helped out people. My young lovers. Your young lovers. Yeah. Um, also, what are you looking for? Like, are you just looking for a role in the hay and, like, somebody to go to a movie with? Like, maybe that's fine. Maybe it doesn't matter. But, like, are you looking to, like actually have like a big relationship and like stop dating and be monogamous or you know enter into enter something not it's not be monogamous but you know enter into something serious then you're gonna have a different set of criteria so i mean if you're just fucking around not to be a seinfeld but have you ever noticed that i never try to sell you blue apron on the podcast or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever, but in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. How do I remain positive in the face of great physical pain? I mean, that's such a hard question because you're just dealing with your body and the limitations of your body and the very real effects of the body on the mind and the emotions. And, um, man, I don't, I don't know. I always think whenever... I get really sick, like if if I've had like like a like a, a really bad flu or like a really bad stomach flu. When you're just like so like at the mercy of your body and you're just so kind of ground down. Like I'm always in awe. Like I'm like some people live like this all the time. 
And like, I don't know how you stay positive. Like, like my personality as I have it today is totally the result of me not being in physical pain. Like I would have to be a totally different person if I was in chronic pain, Yeah, you know? So I don't know. I, man, how do you, I mean, I just feel like that's a really individual question. I don't know that there's like a great, I mean, do you have to be positive? Right. I guess that's my question is like, do you, they say, how do I remain positive? Do you have to be positive or maybe you can just have a place of acceptance and then try to find some kind of calmness and peace around your situation? Yeah. 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 Cause what is the positive? I mean, I guess the the word positive can be really loaded, huh? I mean, I was thinking like you, it, it, it feels bad to feel bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like to feel depressed feels shitty. So like, I understand somebody like, how can I, kind of conjure some sort of more upbeat vibe around this like her huge huge uh, oppression but um but yeah i think you're right i don't know whenever i'm in looking at questions like this i just think of buddhism i just think go towards buddhism read buddhist books the whole premise is like in life there is suffering like the you know what i mean and and like if you are dealing with great physical pain like you're that's your daily reality in such a literal way and so it's like what maybe there's something in that tradition that can help you get to a place of acceptance um find a sense of humor i just found out that my stepfather is dying of cancer and he's like cracking jokes and he's been in great physical pain for like a decade, he's had chronic pain that, that with these really horrible, debilitating situations. And like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's really, it's amazing just to see, see somebody who's able to do that in a genuine way, not in a like, I'm just going to nervously laugh because I'm in denial about that I'm dying. But like, to be able to really kind of connect with a sense of humor in the midst of it is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's acceptance. It's saying, what's your new baseline? And yeah. not judging it against what your old baseline is. Yeah. And not, mm-hmm. like, feeling like you have to be positive. Like, really let go of that. Like, I understand, like, it, it being a goal, like, you want to feel good. But, like, like you don't have to be positive either. It's, like, you can just also be grumpy and be pissed and just, like, like just be wherever you're at, you know? And maybe the, it seems like... I, know, I mean, I don't know... I don't have the additional information about how this person is coping with their lack of positivity, but like, I certainly hope they're not like beating themselves up about yeah. not having a good attitude about their great physical pain. You know, yeah, it's you like, may find more peace in not judging yourself about being negative. Yeah, for sure. In a negative situation, yeah, where that is the reasonable—that's the reasonable thing to do. Yeah, at a certain point. Yeah, I don't know. I I have a lot of I have a lot of back pain. Yeah, and like hand pain and stuff, and it's not like a matter of me being like plucky and be like well it's gonna get better because it's not gonna i have arthritis it's probably gonna get worse right you know i'm probably gonna be in great physical pain in 10 years like i don't know but yeah it's just like oh it is what it is yeah and my pain scale is different than someone else's pain scale because of the amount of pain i live with right so i don't know i just i'm like okay this is just what's happening now and here's the ways that i can make it less or make it comfortable mm-hmm. and then that's all yeah and it's like what's next yeah mm-hmm. And then other things in life come in and bring you happiness and they're not necessarily degraded by the fact that you're in the pain. No. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you have a moment. Like, you know, when I, like, get, like, a... Like, when I was, like, 34 and the doctor was like, you have arthritis in your spine. And I was like, ooh. And then my roommate was like, looks like you got to drink bone broth. And I was like, bitch. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I had I had a roommate with a lot of a lot of advice for me. She was like, "Looks like you're gonna have to start drinking bone broth." Sorry, and I was just like, "I can't even." I've never even heard that that is something. That's not a thing. That's it's, not a thing. It's not a thing. It's you not can, a thing. You can't tell someone who's like been vegan for 18 years, like, "Well, it's the worst day," you know, in the present history for you right now. Well, I have to tell you one more thing. God, yeah, I that's just, crazy. I want to hit that person. Thank you. I was just like, girl, I was like, I just don't. I was like, don't go there. Yeah. Just don't. Yeah. Take the bone broth spoon out of your mouth <laughs> for like one second. And shove it up your ass. Okay. Dear Nicole and Michelle, should I live in the forest or the desert? The, the desert. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the forest, obviously. The desert. Okay, make a case for the desert. The, okay. <laughs> Okay, I mean, the desert in its own right is beautiful. Like, I love, like, I used to live in Tucson, Arizona, and before that, I didn't know, I was from the East Coast, I didn't know what a desert was, so I I conjured images probably from, like, cartoons or something where there's just, like, sand dunes and a tumbleweed blowing by, but the desert is alive, and it's beautiful, and it's filled with creatures and odd-looking plants and it's nice and warm i mean it gets really cold too i i know that but i like the heat of it um i like the aesthetic of it i like the sort of sandy taupe vibe of a desert and and also like there are ticks in a forest like there are not ticks in a desert you know like 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 there are weird creatures in the desert but they're kind of big like a scorpion Okay, there are small scorpions. That's There's true. And scorpions there, in I know, the desert. I know there are scorpions in the desert, but I would rather have a scorpion than a tick. Mm, Ticks I, are so creepy. Like, you could have one burrowed into you for, like, a month, and then you find it, and it's this big thing filled with your blood, and you have Lyme disease. Go go ahead. Move to the forest. That sounds horrible. <laughs> Forests also, like... I mean, I love a forest. They're very beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But, like, to live there, I just think of, like, fungus, mold. It's damp. Like, I am somebody who's, I was told by an astrologer that I'm astrologically predisposed to fungus. So, oh. like, for me, a forest would be bad. It's just like, I don't, I can't be in damp places. Because yeah. now I'm looking at us, I feel like I look like the forest and you look like the desert. <laughs> like, I lo- like, I'm like, oh, dark, oh mossy, yeah. moisture. That all sounds so great I'm to me. Like, oh, like, being in the shade. On a warm rock like a lizard somewhere and, like, like with a lizard even. Just, like, hang out with a lizard <laughs> on a rock. I'm like, you know, there's maybe there's possums. There's, there's possums squirrels. in the desert, aren't there? But these ones like have like really like moist, like a really good skin. Uh, like, a moist possum sounds <laughs> gross. <laughs> really like well like nourished skin. They, their hair is really That's shiny. True. That's I just I true. like the forest. I feel like the forest could cradle you, or like give you shelter. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like that about the desert. But then also, like, I just think about, like, when I was, like, 22 years old and I went and looked at this, like, women's commune, the women's land, adobe land in the in the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. And this woman gave us a tour of it. And she was like, here's my living room. And it was just like, we were outside. And she just had, like, a futon on pallets. And she just slept out there like that. What? Because it, like, doesn't rain. Yeah. Or and I mean the winter sometimes gets cold, but often but like it was it wasn't the winter, it was like the spring. And she just slept out there all night and like when it would rain, it was so rare she would just pull it in under a lean to and be fine. That's what it's like to be in LA. People have outdoor furniture yeah. that is upholstered. Yeah. In Portland, you know what would happen to that in like one day? Blah. Blah. 
I, I have a rash just thinking about it. I have like a fungal rash just thinking You would about try it. to sit on it and you would slide off because of all the mold. Oh, it's so gross. So we're split on this. We're split. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like you have to like look deep within yourself and ask yourself like, are, are you a forest creature or a desert creature? See, I'm a forest creature, but it's been so nice to have the winter in the desert. Mm-hmm. So maybe it could be a snowbird caller. A snowbird. You know? Yeah, definitely. Desert winters, forest summers. Yeah. A forest summer is nice, except for the ticks, um, because there's, like, places to swim and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I guess there, but there is in the desert, too. Like there can be. There can be, um, I don't know, I'm just, I, I, all of this is based on my time in Tucson, and there was, like, in the, once the spring hit, like, the snow melted on the mountains, and there would be little places to swim and stuff. Yeah. yeah. De- I still think of the desert exactly how you described it. Like a cartoon. I think of, like, <laughs> one cactus, like, one swarrow, Have you a never bunch of been sand. to Tucson? No. Oh my God! Everyone needs to go to Tucson, Arizona. It is the most magical place. You have to go out to the Saguaro National Monument. It's a cactus forest. It's Ooh. magical. Is it? it yeah. It's dangerous. It's not dangerous. There's like what is like a coyote gonna chase you or something? Chase chase you right into a cactus. <laughs> Remember when I when I was house sitting for you, I hit my head on a cactus like my first or second day there. I was house-sitting for you, and I was walking the dog around a corner, and an oh old man God. on a scooter was taking up the sidewalk, and in deference to him, I jumped out of the way. And into a cactus? And my head hit a cactus as I was ducking out of his way, and I had cactus spines all in the back of my oh, head. Oh, that's horrible. And I was, your hair. Yeah, and I was walking the dog home back to your house, just picking cactus spines out of my hair. I'm sorry, like, that's horrible. I, I know like, what the heart of that street is. It's like that little hill where there's all those cactuses. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be riding something on that little sidewalk. What a jerk. I know, but he was, he was a senior citizen, so I was like, oh, okay. you know, you know what I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, but again, ticks. T- you, ticks, but I have to say in Portland, I've never gotten a tick. Here, we got a tick. Walking in Hollywood, Ponyo got a tick. I got a tick in L.A. too, actually sleeping on a carpeted floor in Silver Lake <gasps> or Echo Park. Why were you sleeping on a carpeted floor? It was a while ago. It was when I was on a book tour and I was staying at someone's house and I slept on their floor and I woke up. They had an outdoor cat and I woke up and I went to the shower and I was in the shower with my paramour at the time and I just kind of ran my hands down my body and right at my pubic hairline, <laughs> I felt a bump and I it, it, instantly, because I'm deathly afraid of ticks, I instantly knew that my worst fear had come true in the most <laughs> unlikely of places, like a house in Eagle Rock and, um, or Echo Park. And, um, and I just put my hands across my face. I was like, what is it? Get it off me. Get it off me. Get it off me. And my and friend was it? like, it's a tick. And I was like, get it off me. They're disgusting. They're so awful. Panyo got a tick. Amanda was visiting. She's my friend who's butch. I was like, please butch this. I just it was like a... They can... <laughs> That's what I did too to my butch friend. I was like, please butch this tick off of my body. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, uh, I think what you do is... And we took a stick of incense because we didn't have a match and tried to light, put the lit incense near it to scare it out. But we ended up just burning its body to death while its head was still inside <gasps> oh the dog. Oh my God. Oh it was my God, disgusting. Oh my God. Oh my God. Anyway. Uh, dear Nicole Michelle. Okay. How do I come to terms with my mother's mental illness? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I... I'm not going to diagnose anyone, but I, I have a special mom, and I came to terms with her through a lot of therapy mm-hmm. and acceptance and letting go, and knowing that if your mom is mentally ill, she's doing the best she can in that moment. She's not trying to be a jerk. Yeah. She's not so hard. trying to oppress you or anything. She's probably like, like, think about like how scary it must be to be her. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom does like crazy 
crazy stuff sometimes. But I think about with her particular situation, like, how scary it must be to think that everyone's going to leave you all the time, so you have to try to manipulate them into staying. That's so emotionally generous of you to look at it like that. Well, I, I, you know, honestly, like, I've, I'm not always giving with, you know, I said I'm like, but, yeah, yeah. But, like, I was Googling um, her kind of person, and mm-hmm. I found a family therapy website, and they were like, these people are, like, very, very, um, what is it called? Like, when you're very vulnerable uh-huh. in society. Uh-huh. Like, it's easy for them to get raped or to get into oh, weird God. fucked up situations or to get fired. Like, because they're not really on everyone else's wavelength. Right. They're operating on their own wavelength. And so to you as their kid, uh-huh. it feels personal, but it's yeah. not personal. Well, no mental illnesses. That's a good thing to know, to keep in mind. Q-tip. Quit yeah. taking it personal. <laughs> I would just say Al-Anon. Yeah. I, I mean, I would really just say that. that That's helped me with dealing with, like, the weird shit in my family for sure um i mean come to terms with you know so it's like it's really about acceptance it sounds like i would get that from that phrase yeah you know yeah because it's like you have no choice but to come to terms with it like you can't change her you know she probably can't change herself like there's nothing you can do except sort of accept her and find some sort of peace around the things that you're just not going to be able to get from her yeah. And, like, mourn that. Like, give yourself a minute to mourn that. Like, you, that you don't have a mother that's able to give you X, Y, and Z that, you know, you think a mother should give you, be able to give you. And the culture thinks that the mother, a mother should be able to give it to you. You know, whether or not that's, like, a fantasy or not, it's, like, not going to happen, you know, for, for a lot of us. And so it's, like, yeah, just kind of un- understanding, like, what you can expect from this person and what you can't. And, like... Try to enjoy the things that you can kind of get from your relationship with them. Yeah. And can you, is there a way you can be in her life without trying to punish her yeah. for the things that she's not able to do or give you? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I really like that in Al-Anon, they say, or I like, you know, one of the things that I feel like people come away with from there, some people, who knows who, um, that like, it's, it's, it's like you're giving from your abundance not from your essence so you're giving from your overflow because you're taking care of yourself so well oh that's so great so like making boundaries with your mom isn't to punish your mom right it's so that you you have space to like do the best by yourself so that then you can like be kind to her because you could be generous yeah because you have that to give yeah that you're not like barely squeaking by and then your mom's like give me something talk to me do something yeah and you're like ah yeah. get out of my face crazy bitch I hate you mom yeah totally yeah. totally but I felt like that was very valuable there to get. And that she's not actually going to hurt you. Your mom can't actually. She's not actually in charge of you anymore like that. Yeah, that's good to remember. It's hard when you have unhealed things, you know, because you feel like you're living in that hurt. But it's just about taking care of yourself, getting therapy, the therapy that you need to, like, heal your wounds and, like, come to peace around what you've experienced. And then, yeah, from that place, just accept. It's really an illness, you know? It's like... Everyone always uses the diabetes thing with mental illness, right? Like, yeah, it's like you wouldn't be mad at your mom if she had, like, I don't know. Diabetes? 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 Or... (laughs) Diabetes? Or, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. Or erectile dysfunction. uh, Right. You would not be (laughs) mad at her. You would just be like, I love my parent and their ability to be, like, the best parent they can be is obviously compromised by this you know the way that illness compromises our ability to be our best michelle i think that we answered a lot of questions damn we really did do you have any life hacks 
life hacks. Mm-hmm. I really feel like I'm, I'm like such a loser. Like my biggest life hack really is keeping a book in the toilet. Like <laughs> something good. that like my mother was doing in the eighties, you know, like we always had the TV guides in the toilet. I just, I brought it back. Book in the toilet. Book in the toilet. Mm-hmm. What other life hacks do I have? I've recently, uh, you know, about a decade after the fact, really embraced kombucha. Oh, I'm, re- I'm really, that. yeah, I'm really into kombucha right now. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I want to say just in my own defense that in the '90s, when nobody knew what kombucha was, I actually had a living kombucha culture that I cared for, living on my table. Yeah, you know, in my kitchen. So I'm not new to the kombucha game, but so you know, but lately I've just really embraced it. I just feel like. It's really nourishing me. It's really helping me out, my health. As a mother, you were cultivating the mother? I was cultivating the mother. And then, like, flushing the babies down the toilet, which felt so violent That's and weird. awful. Yeah. <laughs> Why were you flushing them down the because toilet? Because I didn't know what to do with them. Because, like, it grows. Like, they really yeah. grow. And they get big. And, like, you can't have it grow to the size of the tank. You need to be tearing, which also feels very violent. You tear the babies off the mother. And... If, if, if you guys have never had this experience, like the kombucha actually looks like a big, fat, slimy pancake, and it grows upwards like a stack. Like this kind of skinny pancake grows into a fluffier pancake, and then a really really tall, it gets taller and taller, and you need to control it. So you, you've got to pull it off. And then you've got this kombucha, and you could give it to a friend. Yeah. But all my friends were like addicts and alcoholics, and like nobody was functional enough to care for a kombucha, including myself. Like it quickly went to vinegar on my table, but it worked for a minute. Like, another friend I know had a kombucha, and she she's like, will you come over and show me how to take care of it? And I said, sure. And I came over, and she pulled it out of her crisper drawer where it was in a Tupperware. I was like, it's dead. Like, you can't, it's a living thing. You can't put it in. So, you know, that was the... You can't put it in your crisper drawer. Yeah, that was, like, the quality of, of life everyone around me was having. But, um... So your life hack is kombucha. Kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> I want a real kombucha, though. I want to I want to do it again. I want to have a pet kombucha. And then what you can do, if you can handle the murder of it, you can actually rip the babies off and you can blend it and use it as a face mask, I've heard. Oh my, but I wonder if the terminology was different, would it make you feel less like a violent person? Somewhat, yes. If it wasn't called the ba- ripping the babies the, off the, the mother? mother? And blending them or flushing them down the toilet? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But, you know, I'm really, I feel very, like, um, connected to the the actual life of plants and stuff right now. So I think that no matter what it was called... I feel like I'd be like, that's just a euphemism for baby. It's their baby. You know, I'm yeah, just like yeah. feeling very connected to plants like that yeah. right now. Um, I can't think of any life hacks off the top of my head. God, life hacks. I mean, mm. my newest, my newest, it's not even, it's not a hack. I'm not hacking life, but I have been <laughs> using a, this weed balm that someone gave me. Weed balm? I don't even, that that weed. I don't even know if it does anything. It's called Relief. It's like coconut oil and weed, and I massage it into my wrist every night after drawing. And I think it just gives me an opportunity to massage my own wrist and hand. I'm going to smell this. Oh, sure. Oh, it looks so gross. I opened it up, and I just was (laughs) expecting it to look like a cream. It's in this, like, stylish, sort of, like, Navajo-appropriated, like, (laughs) label. And then you open it up, and I thought it was going to, like, this, you know, the first ingredient is, like, coconut oil. So I'm just like, oh, it's going to be just... It looks like a gross swamp with like nodules in it. It's like one of those nodules. Is that just the coconut oil? I think it's oh, it's it might kind be of coconut oil. And it's kind of green. It's like a green, like an army green sludge. I'm gonna smell it. Michelle's having a relapse right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then my first thought was like, oh, I want to rub some on, like just because yeah. I'm an addict. Like, I don't even like pot. I didn't even ask you what it would do to me. I just was immediately like, I want to rub some. That's interesting. That's interesting. Do you, does it get you high? Do you get no. high? Does it get your wrist high? No, it doesn't get my wrist high. <laughs> Okay. But did I, you get? Did you go to like a pot store and get this? No, somebody 
pot is so um, pervasive here that somebody gave it to me for my birthday. Oh. Like, I know people that make things out of pot here. Oh, yeah. Because it's hard not to. Right. I find it difficult. To not know people that... To not be making things out of pot all the time. Yeah. Here in Los Angeles. I don't even... I don't even know. Anyway, um, so I don't have any hacks, but I I will say, I will tell you, I told the listeners last week, I've been watching Feud. Oh, me too! And then I watched it, and I had a dream that I had sex with Joan Crawford, as played by Jessica Lange. Oh, And she wanted to have... It was after the Oscars episode. I haven't seen that yet. She wanted to have sex with me in front of a window so her neighbor could see. So her neighbor could see that she still got it. Oh my god, that sounds really nice. And that lesbian sex is still hot. She just, like, (laughs) was, like, using me for this, like, photo op kind of thing. She's like, I want them to know I'm still sexy. That sounds really realistic. They, like, you might have actually communed with, the, with like, the spirit of Joan Crawford. Right? Yeah. It was very... My dreams are, like, pretty one-to-one. Like, whatever's happening is what's happening. That's so great. Yeah. I think I had a dream that I was um, tapping a maple tree. Oh. Yeah. I have some friends that live in western Massachusetts. Hi, Sarah and Ginger. And um, I saw on the internet they were tapping a maple tree, so I think that's what it lodged in my head. I was like, oh, I just really want to do that. And I just still have never tapped a maple tree and like yeah. made maple syrup. I thought it was so cool that they're like making their own maple syrup from like trees in their backyard. That is cool. Wait, tell us about your tarot thing before we go. Oh yeah. Listeners. So I have a tarot book that's coming out, uh, in a couple months in Ju- June 13th. It's called modern tarot. It's like my, I've been reading tarot cards since I was 15 and I'm 46. So a long time. And it's, um, my take on the cards, like my, my just like in my lingo and my language with like my particular um perspective dotted with little like vignettes about my life and then every card i wrote spells for so if you want to bring the energy of that card into your life there's some spells that will help you do that or if you want to get it out of your life there are like banishing spells to do that and um so to kind of promote it at the behest of my publisher i'm doing live tarot readings on facebook live Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So if you go, not to my personal page, which I haven't, it's still public. It's not on my personal page. It's on like my fan page, which we can't get to not say a food, that I'm a food and beverage company. It's like my publicist is like trying to fix it and it's not happening. I know. It's really funny. So if you go to the page where it says I'm a food and beverage company and there's a black and white picture um, and you can like me, just please like me. Just come and like, Throw up your question on my on a comment, you know, and just like put it on my page, and I will get to it, and I'll pick some cards for you live Tuesday at seven. It's going to be every Tuesday at seven for the next few months. So come and hang out with me; it's really fun. Cool. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for your advice, and please come back on the podcast and do some tarot magic. In June, yeah, we'll in do June, it. in June, we'll do we'll pick tarot for these problems that people share with you. Special thanks this week to Ponyo's Inner Circle member, Shoshana Wechter. I hope I said your name right. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.